This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth as we continue our Bible study in the book of James, chapter 2. Find it first. So, uh, last week is a, it was a good discussion, you know, mainly because the book of James is one of those historically fascinating books um, in the sense that history has it as James was most likely Jesus's brother. Uh, and his, <clears throat> there's a lot of speculation as to the, when it was written, how it was written. Um, but the part that's fascinating about it is, is it's, um, trying to figure out exactly, it's a lot of sermons. You, you hear a lot of people use the book of James in their sermon scriptures <clears throat> because it's, uh, it's, it's a New Testament version of the book of Proverbs. That's what I'm trying to say. This, this practice has become fascinating in the, in the history of the first century that when you are talking about faith-based ideas, they come up with phrases, you know, like we have in the Torah, you know, love one another as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. These, these are phrases that are easy for us to take and, and move on. So James is designed in that same manner so that we can have these conversations and, and maybe, maybe change the world in the name of Jesus. Uh, and there's a, there's a, um, a drive. You could hear it in the language of the writer. Like this is, this is extremely important. We have to do this. Um, where I, I think in the Gospels, we don't have, you know, the Gospels have this, we're writing after or during the destruction of the temple kind of idea. Paul has an urgency to his writing that the end of the world is coming in the next minute, right? James doesn't have that, but then James does have that. There's, there's not a sense of a massive urgency like you get from Paul's letters, but more of a as we're living in it type of thing. Um, I, I think the part that I have neglected to say anytime that we read the New Testament is there is an urgency to our faith practices because Jesus could come back in the next hour for them. For everybody in the first century, Jesus could come back in the next hour. He did three days after he died. So who knows? Jesus ascended into heaven. The, the culture has, a, has already accepted this. So we have to be ready. There's a sense of readiness that has to take place in the New Testament. Um, but Christian Church Disciples of Christ doesn't like really like to talk about uh, the, the end of times kind of language. But the, the, for the first century, it makes sense, right? Like it's a it's a thing. If, if your Jesus has died and he has moved away physically, we've seen him disappear. Is he coming back? And why hasn't he come back already? Uh, so James has written this idea. That's my point. 
Well, also, didn't they hear? I mean, a lot of them have heard Jesus say that he would be back. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, I would think it would affect how you give you instruction. Um, like, if I was a, my, talking to my son and I, I was going to be back in a couple of days, I would give him some instructions for two days worth, you know. But if I knew I was going to be gone a year, I would give a year, a year's worth of instructions, or <laughs> maybe just more. I would give different kind of instructions if this happens. Do this, do this, and this, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be here. I'm gonna, uh, so it's kind of like read the scripture, like, well, this is how I should do it. But Jesus come tomorrow, so I don't really have to worry about that too much. But it's almost like a little bit of James is like, you know, he may not come the next hour. He he may come a year from now. He may come. So let's figure out how we are supposed to live until he comes. Does that make any sense? No, no, that's 100%. I mean, oh, okay. It makes total sense okay. uh, to me. I think you're, you're uh, right on the money. But there's the, the, the answers that Jesus gives are short. You know, the, the, when you look at the Hebrew Bible, the, there's, a, there's a sense of we're going to be doing this for a really long time. So there's no sense of urgency in it. Jesus' language is, well, tomorrow, you know, uh, three days, you know, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, everything is 40 years at least, right? It's it literally just supposed to mean a really long time, but that's, and, and, I'm, and I'm saying this in jest, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's a really long time from now. Or not. Or not. Or, not. Right. or it could be within just a month from yeah. now, you know, 40 days, 40 nights. There's, there's a sense of timing here that's a little weird. It would be nice if he did tell us when he started. Right. Yeah. The world would probably change. Yeah. 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 In the in the in-between times. We know that this is going to take some time. We don't know exactly how much time, but let's let's think about phrases that can keep us motivated, which is why it's so easy to preach in the 21st century. I'm thinking though, the re I mean, I don't know the reason. I mean, I have in my little elementary mind the reasoning, but is that we don't know, so we better just live right and be as much like Jesus as we can yes and not like so there's a purpose there to me you know that's I think that the Jews are well under still waiting for Jesus to come back with a sword oh yeah no there's there's still I mean that's the way they were raised they can't get away from that they're and I think James understands a little bit better than Paul. I'll put it that way. But, you know, and here we're a few thousand years later. We know that he didn't come back the next week. I think we're, I don't know what the word is, but we're just not expecting him to come back. We're apathetic. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't want to use that word. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the neat thing for me is like as we have the discussion of the Bible in this way, this is this gives proof to some of the evangelicals' urgency in the way that they preach. We have to save everybody in this room today. Like that's the evangelical churches, that's their whole mission 
because they they read these letters from Paul, they read this with that same sense of urgency, and they know that Jesus might not come back tomorrow, but they, this is their, that's just in case, that's right, that's right, so I, I think it's important for us to call that out. Yes, because I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to take the risk of making you extremely uncomfortable and evangelizing you, because this may be the last, last, the last chance before, right. it could be, again, that's what we're saying, it could be, but it might not be later. I, I feel like disciples of Christ is more like let's build that relationship with that person, you know, through relationship, you know, honest discussions, and uh, a person may come to faith, may not, but, but it, you know, it's built on relationship and not just on let me hit you with the hammer of the gospel. Which then makes sense why the, the book of James is so important for us as a denomination because it's a hundred percent based on. The relationship aspect which leads us perfectly in what? to chapter two <clears throat> the very my, my subtitle just for to give you an idea it says to warn against partiality uh, so it says my brothers and sisters do you wish uh do you with the sorry i that's my lessons and you know sure, I you want to try it again. i think i still have another picture <laughs> Because I'm not a fair person. Hey, I can actually read this. <laughs> uh, We're going to get the Bible. <laughs> this is amazing. Do, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes, clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. While to the one who is poor, you say, stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with equal thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable, now this is important, for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. Now if you did not commit murder or adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of, notice that this law is the Ten Commandments, right? The law here, this, this, this is uh, interesting. Uh, so, so speak and, and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> so right off the bat, you have uh, an interesting conversation about how the law works in this conversation, about partiality. If our job is to work with a group of people and we're supposed to be building this relationship and the person that comes in with all the money and we pay attention to them but we do not pay attention to the person that's poor 
And we even go so as far to say, as here, come sit at the front of the room, but the you poor person come sit at my feet, which by the way, just a side note, is a, uh, a literal slam against the Roman Empire. Um, the servant for the emperor and the governors and everything sat at their feet, waiting at beck and call to serve them. And they typically were slaves. And so this is a slam against the Roman Empire. This is not something the Jewish culture did in any way, shape, or form. But just had to throw that out there while I had the chance. So it's the dogs. That's right. Literally like the dogs. <clears throat> Your proof of this is in the, oh no, it's in the Gospel of Mark. Oh no, I'm, I'm wrong. Oh no, it's the it's the first story of Lazarus, not the one that raises him from the dead. But there's a uh, a story about this man who dies. Oh, and Lazarus, and he wants Father Abraham to get Father him. Abraham to get him out. That's right. <clears throat> Water and uh, could you just tell my family that Jesus is real and all this stuff? Why? Why would you do this? There's this this I, and and then and then there's the story of like he, he even fed him the scraps from the table like this is that imagery here is that Luke or Mark I don't, I don't remember I, I think it's the story and and since you brought your uh, Alon Greek yes I did <clears throat> could you please look at uh, verse eleven I'm looking right at the very end of the sentence the word law. No, brother. No, mom. No, mom. <clears throat> Which is not your typical word, I would assume, <laughs> uh, for law. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. Uh, I think this is the interpretation of the law, or, but this is, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember. This is a different word than we normally see for law. So, like, uh, Sherry and I've had this conversation before. They have to have Greek uh, while you're doing parts of law school. And, really? Yeah. And so part of that, there's a different word for law multiple times. I think this is a inherited law. Like, it can, it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. Go ahead. The uh, Lazarus story is in Luke chapter Luke. 16. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> um, so this law that they're talking about here is something that is stuck inside them it's embedded in them and then on top of that we should know better to take care of the other people that's that's the point i was trying to make go ahead robert i was just curious why and it's an eight uh royal law why do you call it the royal law are they just saying that this law is over the roman law or oh that's the word it's from the word for kingdom fossilia yeah fossilicone is the word and it just says royal it doesn't say law at all i think this is a, a translator's insert okay well kingdom i understand royal i, I mean royal i think of the the yeah, not a but I'm 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 gonna just go on a limb that uh this is one of those things that implies the law of the kingdom 
I don't, I don't know why they put the word royal. I, I think it's just a translator choice. And then I had another question. Um, reading this, or <clears throat> I, I guess my, my question is, why would they think that any law is greater than, or any of the sins are greater than any of the other sins? I mean, you know, uh, uh, you didn't commit adultery, you're, you're a good person, but you committed murder, so that's okay. I mean, well, I mean that, that's kind of the way, you know, they're saying that they're, to me, he, they're saying they're all the same. It doesn't, you can't choose, pick and choose which ones you're going to. Yeah, we say some are honor. worse than others, but he says all the law that stumbles at one point, and that's still known on. Yep. For whoever all the law keeps but stumbles in one point, so I guess become guilty of all. My question is, is that what he's that. trying to say that there's, they're all equal? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You can't do it. Right. Yeah. Expect to be considered good. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and again, you have proof of this again with Jesus's language. The Pharisees evidently have been having this argument as to what laws are more important than yeah. others. And they and they ask him, well, so what's the most important law? And it's a test. This this becomes a, a thing. So this is another argument that James is making against part of the culture that they're living in, there can't be any greater law. They're all the same. And <clears throat> pardon me, one other thing. Aren't, aren't the Jews at that time when they entered the temple, they have to, they're giving different sacrifices. So somebody's determining, right, <laughs> that, that they've been worse than the other guy or, or they, they've broken three laws instead of two laws. I mean, so one, one of the things that's kind of fascinating is I've been doing my research on liturgical studies. This is throughout history, every time that a, a group of people anthropologically have a place of worship, you cannot avoid logistics. You, 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 you just can't. At some point, somebody has to make a decision on to where something goes or why it goes there. And then ultimately the how, right? So one thing that we do know that was happening in the first century is, is that they were doing burnt offerings. Um, we don't know how or when. We know that they, there were certain times throughout the year, Jewish calendar, that they were supposed to do it. But we don't have any record as to who was overseeing that. So now we have to make uh, educated assumptions, which is not a good plan. But we have enough data to give us some ideas. So then we go directly to biblical things. Well, the Torah is very, very specific as to how that's supposed to happen, but somebody has to oversee that. And in order for them to do the entire tribes of Israel, you're going to have to have a lot of Pharisees or a lot of priests that are going to be able to do this. Um, but let's be honest. Let's just think about our own worship service, right? There are things that sometimes we do to streamline service so that we're out in an hour not that any of you care but the preacher does so so in my head i i, I try to make sure that we're in and out in, in an hour and then there are things that are out beyond my control uh <clears throat> for whatever reason and it's not it's not a bad thing but at the same time i've made my logistical efforts to make that work so i'm making a big deal out of this robert at some point 
they had to have the conversation of, well, do we really need to do two devs or can they just do one and we call it two? If, it, if it's the effort of <clears throat> us doing two devs, if they're really, really um, asking for forgiveness, can we just take the one, right? Like, so that I'm saying we have no proof of this, but we do have proof of this. But they were selling devs and they wanted more money, so they wanted to sell two. That's right. And so then they get to the priest and the priest is like, you know what, it's okay, we'll take this dev. And then what was really happening that we do have efforts of, so this person brings in two, they take the one, they hand the other one back out and they sell it again. <laughs> so it's this big circle. We, we do know this was happening. Recycling. That's exactly what was happening. <clears throat> and if you got two priests on duty that day and you need seven, and you know you're you're having to sacrifice all of these lambs and all this other stuff. So I'm I'm being facetious, but I'm not humanity case. Yeah. Humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, I mean, we, we put the Pope on a pedestal, but he has to fight probably more demons than everybody else. That's right, because he's he's ultimately human. That's right, and and, and he's got a whole list of people that are telling him, "Well, we have to do this because this is the way we've always done it," and he's like, "Yeah, but." You know, I, I think I think he's a really good example today <clears throat> who who uh, kind of fights the system on a regular basis to say, well, well, we need to do this, not because we should, but because we we have the opportunity to, you know, I don't know. It's a good argument. This passage, too, is it's, it's an integral part of uh, the Christian message, because uh, before you understand grace, you have to understand law. Right. And people say, well, I'm. I'm good enough. I don't do such and such. Yeah. But, but the gospel message is no. You have broken the law. All, all of us have. We all need grace. Which brings up my quick. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just we all sin and fallen short. Yeah. Right. Which brings up my question: Is we're supposed to treat everyone the same, as good as the other, with riches? I mean, don't. How is that with sin? Because oh, you hear people say, well, we need to separate ourselves from people that are running around doing this. Mm -hmm. But Jesus hung out with <laughs> tax collectors. You know, where's that line at? You know, and should we just forget that? I'm going to treat you with love anyway. That's, that's the next that's literally the next, the next okay. well I'll sure. I mean, we'll just get to it <laughs> thank you so much Jimmy, for that another good segue for that beautiful segue and here we go so in all seriousness this, this, this yeah. is where this leads do you see how cool James works it's, it's completely relational it gives you the ability to connect everything to the way that we're actually doing it that's why James works so well so as we're having this discussion the first century would have been in the same boat. And they say, well, in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead but someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from your works and i by my works will show you my faith you believe that god is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder do you want to be shown 
you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend. What's that word there, Sally? Friend? Philos. Philos. So it's the real friend. Friend of God. That's a big deal. How do you be a friend with God? Abraham was. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab. I love the fact that he brings her up. Likewise, was right not. Abraham. <laughs> it's right. Right after Abraham. Likewise, was not Rahab, the prostitute, also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So I'm going to pause right here because uh, this is interesting because we hear this language. I'm going to quote a few things. Um, Paul speaks specifically about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. Um, and we read a lot about this in the sense of, uh, let me make sure I'm reading this correctly. This has been a challenge to Paul's teaching, specifically also found in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. And um, the conversation between the sacrifice of Isaac being a part of this faith without works, we find it in uh, Philo, uh, which is talking about Abraham, and 1 Maccabees. Um, now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is, <clears throat> remember that in the first century, you didn't have one church. I don't know if I've said this enough. You have a bunch of people that believe in Jesus that are trying to make sense of it. So you've got Paul, who was a Pharisee, and ultimately nobody liked him. He's going around starting churches in the name of Jesus and, because he's been converted. And yes, I'm using air quotes for those who do it online. <clears throat> he's been converted and he's starting to challenge this and he's preaching to Gentile people. And then James is challenging this because Paul never comes up with a straight answer. In one book, he says, faith without works is dead. And then the other one, he says, well, works without faith is also dead. He never, he never comes up with a straight, straight answer. Paul kind of goes back and forth because he has to argue what the law is supposed to be. In one book, he says that you're not supposed to follow the law. In the other one, he's saying, well, if you do follow the law, you need to follow it this way. Uh, Paul doesn't make sense, really. James tries to clarify this. So if we just got done talking about who's welcome into the kingdom of God, James is arguing all of those that live by faith and show works, because those works are a show, uh, uh, an essence of their faith. We do this because we believe in God, not because we want glory or praise. And our faith, aka big C Christianity, is designed that way. Galatians 5.22, which described as fruit. The fruit of the It's the natural 
result of how you're growing, you're producing fruit. You know, <clears throat> oranges come from orange trees. You know, and you produce how you're growing by what you're doing. Well, I'm, I'm not defending and or agreeing with Paul, but his letters are written to a specific issue. Yep. We're the ones that are looking at it, Let's gathering all of them and pulling them together. Now, James is addressing the 12 tribes. <coughs> so thank you. So he's 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 addressing there's a fancy word I get to use. Uh, he is addressing the phrase the Shema. Uh S-H-E-M-A. What is it? Hero Israel. Part of that. That's the, the, the that's the big prayer. Right. But the idea is the Shema is the phrase literally God is one. And so as he's addressing the tribes of Israel, all these people who also have the opportunity to hear it are going to hear the Shema later, which is going to be created as an aspect of the prayer. But we get this idea from Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's in chapter six, this idea that God is the one God, you know, um, and he's speaking specifically, his audience is a Jewish one with, let's be honest, Gentiles on the outside, on the outskirts, hearing this. Oh, they're welcome. They're welcome. Oh, my goodness. This is a crazy concept. But not written to. <laughs> but not written to. Nope. Also, I mean, and this probably is, is why James works so well in this, but Paul's not dealing with churches as per se. I mean, they're, they're followers of Christ, but they're Josh's followers of Christ right. in this city. They're, they're, they're Timothy's. Smaller. I mean, they're, they're different right. groups, not, a, not dissimilar today, but all I'm saying is I don't think they figured out yet that they're a movement or they're a group or they're, you know, oh. there's, there's comfort in meeting at so-and-so's house and learning what's going on and collectively other people are talking about it but i guess what i'm trying to say i think james is when he when he says you know the 12 tribes he's okay group <laughs> this, this is what we should be doing not each city or each well, each entity within those cities or didn't, cities didn't when they were establishing the church how long, like, was Paul in one town establishing that church? Was he there 11 years or was he yeah. there three or four months and said, you're in charge now because you seem to, you know, know what you're doing, creating the pastor of that congregation. Mm -hmm. But he, did he really have time to sit and preach and get the congregation or the preacher to understand everything? It doesn't seem like that he did. He just, it was just... Mm -hmm. We're establishing this church. We're going to go to your house, and then he moves on, and you know, talk a little bit, and then he goes over to another one. And he never built relationships in any place. It was just yeah. so it, was, it would have been with a select group of people. Yeah. So, like you, like you, like for example, we just got done reading it on Sunday. Paul builds a relationship with Lois and Eunice way before he builds a relationship with Timothy, and so he builds he builds it with this small group of people that he entrusts this with and we would call them elders um and so these elders would then lead these people 
to the best of their ability. And then the deacons were a part of that. So these, these people all had roles in the church. And so he, in every aspect, was an evangelist. Paul would come, preach the gospel, set it up, and then he would move to the next place as they felt called. Uh, Alexander Campbell, just coincidentally, uh, I think kind of looks at what he does in the United States is uh, kind of take on the role of Paul. We're, we're preaching the gospel in a different way to different communities uh, that is not uh, European. It's not sectarian. He, those are the words he would use. So even in our conversations that we have today, there, this desire has been throughout time. In your faith movement that you're currently in, that, that's a huge uh, guiding presence with us. Um, I don't want to miss the part with Abraham, the friend of God. Um, this, this, is, this is a massive statement um, for the diaspora. And I, and I don't want to skip over Rahab. What do, what do you remember about Rahab, the, the prostitute? Notice that he even says it that way. <laughs> I was thinking of, you know, say, you say, oh, we're all children of Abraham. I'm going to say, we're all children of Rahab. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, she get, went against the king to harbor these spies. Mm -hmm. So she had to have, she had to have faith to yeah. do that, you know? And she risked her own life. So I think that's pretty, pretty nifty. Isn't he labeling them, though, and passing judgment all in the same while he's telling us not to? I mean, I think you're identifying her for the crowd. So because that's how they were talking to. That's how they were spoken to. Yeah. But you she instant, person, when, when, when you put a label on somebody, you instantly, you know, the guy was on the go, the guy that's poor. We talk about, well, it's, you know, it's that lady on the corner that has all the cats in the white picket fit, he like, mm -hmm. that's the prostitute. Yeah, yeah it's just, mm -hmm. a, it's almost like they weren't a person. It was like they were identified by how they were. And I don't know how you'd arrive without doing it. I'm just saying the minute you do that, though, you're. It's true. It's yeah. Fire. yeah. But, I mean, she was. Do you remember the story about Rahab? Yeah, it's Caleb and Joshua. Uh, Jericho. Yep. So there's, and and, and why, why was she so important? She was, was the only that, one that lived. The army rushed yeah. around and around. Yeah. And she let the uh, she would bring in the Jewish spies or not Jewish spies. That is awful. Is Israeli spies into her home? She'd hide them throughout the battle. Well, after the battle was over, she and her family were the only ones saved. From, uh, from in Jericho. She's kind of a superhero, is part of the reason I'm bringing her up. And her identifier, it was just happenstance. I mean, it's just this is, this is how she was able to say she, him. she did something with her faith, too. Right. And she wasn't a part of their heritage. Right. My Hebrew Bible scholar, uh, Dr. Davison, always points out Rahab's. Uh, non declares this 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 bad thing. You know, it's just this nomenclature of her is is it's just how we refer to women that did anything. Like they, Mary Magdalene, for example, she's automatically considered a prostitute, um, and yet she has her own church <laughs> that we've dug up. Like we've we've found it, right? We know that it existed. 
Um, there's nothing in the scripture that says Mary Magdalene was a prostitute, is it? No, but they refer to her as that. Oh, they do, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's there's this interesting thing that takes place there. Obviously, we have to remember who's writing these things. Uh, it's, it's, it's a patriarchal society. Women should know their place. But Rahab, for some reason, transcends time as a superhero because she saved Israel. Uh, by any means necessary. Um, and and uh, I think it's fascinating that he brings her up in this story um, and Abraham. So you got both ends of the spectrum by any means necessary. Yeah, I don't necessarily like Abraham. Like he is not my favorite biblical character. He, he does some stupid stuff. Makes a lot of mistakes. Lots of mistakes. Uh, I don't want a perfect character, but he just makes me grossed out. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he creates a, a two totally different cultures to, you know, that, that, that we have fought over for thousands of years. And it's just as if it just happened, oops, sorry, and moves on. <laughs> um, I, 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 so I, I, I say that, but I loved how James refers to him as the friend of God. He's even willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac. This is another Hebrew Bible thing um, that gets brought up a lot. Um, what is the sacrifice that you're willing to make in the name of God through Jesus Christ? Well, I hear a friend of your relationship to you. Right? Yep, there Which, we go again. I don't know that the gods of that time people had relationships with them. I mean, in... <laughs> It was definitely a servant, you know. I'm, I'm going to serve whatever God. And, you know. Well, yeah, you bring me the numerous ones. Mm -hmm. Bring me rain. I'll do this. And they were none of them were nice. Well, we're we're doing really well. I I think we might keep going. So, like, if if we're having this conversation about Kim, I felt like you were getting ready to say something. And I interrupted you. No, I just uh, you know, with Rahab, I was just looking, trying to figure out where it was. It seemed like that she understood or that she saw God's power. I mean, yes. She was one that could see what God could do. Yep. Yes. If we didn't have messages like Rahab, to me, how would we practice grace and forgiveness and hope that no matter where you're at in life, what you've done, there's that grace and hope of if you practice your faith. And God will use you. Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's something that's prevalent throughout the entire Hebrew Bible. That sometimes you, you have to do what you have to do to survive. And that God still sees you as a human being. And women didn't have choices back then, really. Right. It's also very important to point out. So... Uh, the I fact that they did have choices, you could just starve, I guess. But so now we're making a connection. So, hey, it's it's uh, the same problem. So, can I ask a question and not have a rabbit just a yes or no? I will try. Was Jericho part of the 12 tribes? No, okay, no, and it's not a rabbit trail, it's a geographical strategic location. It's close to water. Uh, it's on a. It's it's higher up elevation wise. Um, 
and the ground's solid. Has it been found archaeologically? Or oh, yeah. I believe that they found it. Yeah, we, yeah I, I mean, I've been there. Like it's, um, we, we see, we can see where the Herodian bricks were, where the massive buildings are. And uh, interesting thing is, is that they have also started uh, fracking around Jericho and they started having massive earthquakes. Um, and well, clearly just caused that. That's right. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't do that, but it's just coincidentally. Uh, Especially in the land that has lots of earthquakes. That's right. Uh, all of a sudden they started having earthquakes and, and uh, there, there's uh, massive uh, issues going on right now. But, you know, it's, it's the same thing that we run into. It's, it's pockets of air that get moved. That's what causes the shifts. And so they've found all of this stuff and we know where Jericho is or where it kind of was. Um, again, strategic location, not a part of the 12 tribes. Um, let's move to chapter three. So if we do all of these things and we become the friend of God and we do everything from the, uh, to please God, we have to be careful. As he says in chapter three, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great is a forest, wait, let me say that again, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a, as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on by fire by hell. Is that Anna? Yes. Okay. But for every species of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison, with it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Is that uh, likeness of Theos? Uh -huh, Theos. Okay. Uh -huh. from, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring for, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives? or a grapevine figs, no more can salt water yield fresh. And then we'll just pause right there. Taming the tongue. <laughs> how, many, how many churches that you guys have heard of are destroyed by gossip and rumors? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the diaspora that he's writing to. 
they, they, they have all left Jerusalem because of anger and <clears throat> captivity and things of that nature, but they haven't come back. So, you know, this is, this is a big deal. A lot of churches are, are destroyed by people's version of the truth, difference of opinions. Perception becomes reality. Mm -hmm. Or the inability to coexist. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I mean, I don't even say compromise, just believe as you wish and let you be the personal love. Mm -hmm. Oh, if I'm going to be right, you have to be wrong. We both can't be right. That's not we're both wrong. But that you don't even you don't realize when you need to walk away from the situation, whatever it is. It doesn't I mean, solve you, anything. It does, yeah, right. you know, and, and that's the best thing to do is because, like you're saying, we both can't be right. <laughs> and, and it's very, and, and I'm going to go slightly different, but anybody that's went and listened to a, a very good speaker, you know, they really do inspire you for the five minutes that you walk out the door. But I mean, you know, they, 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 I, what I'm trying to say is people can really inspire people to do things uh, with their words. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Halftime speeches get you motivated. Wherever it comes from, Josh up there preaching. You know you can, you know you can get all excited. Unfortunately, a lot of times that flank burns out real quick in all areas. But what I'm trying to say is, people with strong skills can inspire and move. And unfortunately, most of the time we remember the bad ones that. Mm -hmm. Do things like that, but I guess why you was talking about inspiring. That's why people say, "Well, I don't have to be in church to worship God." No, but it sure helps when you have that weekly time together and can hear inspiring messages mm -hmm. and get that flame going again. At least to last you till midweek. I've heard sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can really hurt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, it seems like when I've hurt people the most, it's not intentional. Yeah. I, I've not actively went out of my way to, to say something that, you know. For me, it's when I'm tired. It's when I regret saying some of the things that I've said in my life. <laughs> I, I like, I see a little bit of a Roman imagery and we uh, talk about how the all kinds of animals have been tamed, and I think in my mind, you kind of see the Colosseum where they would bring all kinds of animals from the outreaches of the empire into the Colosseum where they would, you know, be faced in combat or, or killed or whatever. But, you know, just total domination of the animal kingdom. Uh, I mean, the Romans were pretty successful at that. Um, so I can see some people going, Yeah, you're right. About any kind of animal I've seen. All kinds of things. They've been tamed. They've been controlled. But the tongue can't be tamed. Mm -hmm. Control the elephant and the rhinoceros and the lion. Well, and there's also the the aspect of what's happening within the Roman Empire also. Because uh, everything's word of mouth. Mm 
the the only aspect of media that they have at this point are coins. You know, you see graffiti and graffiti mm -hmm. and this and this graffiti and the coins that they have. It's also you could look at it as a tongue. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, this is yeah. speaking. You, you you have the emperor's face holding the world up in your hand in his hands. That says a lot, but it's not true, right? Like it's that that should be thrown into the fiery pits of Gehenna. That's that's what he's saying. You know, this is this is a massive thing. Um, and yeah, it's like that burn pit or something else. Yeah, it's right outside of Jerusalem. But it, it's always burnt. You're always smelling and seeing. And I did think it was kind of funny, which is why I was asking because he's, it's the way he put it in there uh, that this this tongue of fire can be right there. Where do you think everybody's talking? They're talking outside the fire pits, like the the early first century water cooler. Like you're you're not going to go down there and not talk to anybody. Like it's just weird. But everybody's there. They know what's going on, and it does make the imagery of hell right like this this is a bad place um because of the fight with the destruction that it does um from it so there is a hell imagery there i would struggle to say that it is the hell that we talk about today so as when he starts off he's addressing teachers yep teachers at that time were not as the same as teachers are today. These are Pharisees and rabbis. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, he's he's addressing them, but then he pulls all of us into it. Right. I mean, I guess what he's trying to say is you may not be a teacher, but if you start leading people down the wrong path, I mean, if you start, if, if people start following you, then you're a teacher. That's right. I'll put it that way. If they're listening to what you're saying, there's no way to avoid it. Well, we have just enough time that we can finish this because it's only five verses left. We won't be able to do a lot of discussion of it, but it makes sense. Then if you're going to talk about the ways that we speak, he talks about how do you speak? Well, who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentle, gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish, um, from where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. That's pretty deep. It is true that there are two kinds of wisdom. We talk about people being worldly wise or street wise.
I think he's cautioning us though with whatever wisdom we have, because we all have different wisdoms or fruits or talents, whatever. Be careful how you use those. And wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is how you apply your knowledge. And you also say that it can be selfish. Wisdom. Not really can make your make you be hard hearted if you're ambitious to you know climb the corporate ladder or do things that for yourself rather than for the glory of God and to help others. I mean, I love groups that are kind of crime users or they build a crime empire and all that stuff. Yeah, usually the guy that's in charge has to make decisions and they're wise decisions. For being a better criminal than ever, you know, or make everything grow. So there certainly are wisdoms that you could use to benefit bad things, and you can also use godly wisdom to make good things happen. I think our nature kind of that does lean more toward the, the selfish one. How can I be smart enough to uh, make this benefit me and my family? Well, that's when I think you're. The character of you kind of starts coming out. Mm -hmm. What kind of person you really are? Wisdom is good, but then on the other hand, you need to be humble because mm -hmm. you've met those people that know everything about everything, and it's a real turn off. Mm -hmm. You know it alls because then you just want to tune them out mm -hmm. and not even, you know. Certainly not listen. Yeah. <laughs> I had to say once to a friend of mine, it was sort of like that. It's like. Brian, not everyone wants to hear everything about what you know all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his answer was, of course they do. Yeah. He explained to you why. Yeah, he explained to me why I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to hear. He definitely differentiates between the wisdoms through there. And he, you know, he don't say ends, but he says that wisdom from heaven is pure. Mm -hmm. It's not discounting that wisdom comes from earthly areas, manly issues. You know, man, man, human. I should have said it that way. And the earthly wisdom says, I've got some extra food. I'm going to save it for myself and my family. But heavenly wisdom says, give, give it to those who don't have it. You know, and that does go against conventional wisdom. That's right. To me, that. Yeah. I stop and think of your sermons. Uh, when you're in the pulpit and you speak, I feel like it's got it's God's words that are coming through your mouth because I feel like you have to be careful. You might offend people and, you know, some people may take what you say totally 
the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And I admire you and other some ministers, other ministers, most ministers. I know you have to rely on God's word to come through what you say because you know I think other people in the congregation may misinterpret what you're saying and they take things the wrong way or be offended and I think in my voice of experience when something usually bothers me <laughs> that someone said I reflect on it and it's usually me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a long time ago that the definition of a good sermon and bad sermon is a good sermon is when they're talking about my neighbor's sins. <laughs> bad sermons when they're talking about my sins. Right. Mm -hmm. well, I've, heard, I've heard the expression that they, you, know, you have to speak the truth in love. And that's not easy to do. Sometimes. No, it's not. And also, I was thinking, giving an example of gospel, too long to praise on here, but also there's the integrity issue. You know, we've been at his side, seen how much he cares for all of us. So if he's going to give some wisdom, I, I'm going to tend to listen to somebody who I feel like where it's integrated into their day-to-day -day living as well. I refer to it as being poked by a stick. If I, <laughs> if I sit and feel like, hmm, he just poked me with a stick, I better, you know, that's a good sermon. We instead, when ministers say you and they point the finger and they everybody say turns you. around, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think the part that I want you to get as we finish this chapter is, is that James is saying the same thing in the sense of wisdom comes from different places. The goal of this wisdom is to be shared to build up the kingdom of God, is to save not souls, but to save the relationships with people that ultimately save souls. You know, um, this is this is a a really good way to end that chapter in the sense of my tongue can actually cause a, a rift. Um, I, I, it's hard preaching because when you preach. You know, it's, it's the idea that I'm preaching not to you, it's with you. This is an idea. This scripture is speaking to these people in the first century, but it relates to us today. And it hurts me or it pokes me as much as it's supposed to poke you. Like it's, and then at the end of the day, the part that's dangerous is, is that those moments where somebody does take something that I have said or something that you have said and, and goes off the rails with it. I mean, this history is chock full of people that have read the same Bible and have gone a different direction. You know, I mean, it's terrifying. So the, the ultimate thing that I want you to catch out of this as, at the end here is, is that verse 18 is uh, there's, there becomes a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. That's the goal that James is trying to bring to that first century group that we don't need to start a riot. We don't need to start revolutions. This, the goal here is how do we live within this awful world, chaotic world, and still bring peace in the midst of it? They should have paid attention. They should have paid attention. Should have paid attention. But if you don't use the tongue at all, right. which is, I have a real fault of that, mm -hmm. by 
not agreeing with someone and I know I don't agree with them, but it's easier for me to walk away. To walk to walk away. away. Am I, are they thinking I'm agreeing with them when I should say something? And I'm like, I don't know. And I think this is the struggle that we have even back then is when we do today. And this just becomes the, the problem. But we, we go ahead and need to go ahead and stop it here. We'll start here next week. If you notice that there's only two chapters left in the book of James. So we might be done next week. And uh, if not, if, if we are, uh, we might do another small book. <laughs>